I'm going to preach about 30 minutes to you this morning with the help of the Lord. And so you pray for us and with us, Galatians chapter number 5. I preached this week in revival, just unusual uh, to do this, but I felt led of the Lord every night to preach on uh, the Spirit-filled life. And um, uh, the Lord just moved in my heart every night to do that. And this morning, that was on my heart. Brother Bearden, it was on my heart yesterday. And uh, Brother Bearden called me. Uh, he said, Preacher, he said, anything particular you want me to preach on? I never tell a preacher uh, what I want him to preach on. I said, no, brother. I said, I want you to preach whatever God lays on your heart to preach. And uh, he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what I've been thinking about preaching on. I've been thinking about preaching on the Spirit-filled life. And uh, I didn't say a word to him about this morning because I thought it might hinder him. If God, if he comes back and preaches the same thing, it won't make no difference, isn't that right? Uh, because we all need it, amen. And what I want to preach a few moments this morning on, I pray that would not be a sermon, but would be a message that will go home with us and will help us uh, draw closer to the Lord. Galatians 5 and verse number 16. The Bible said this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Father, I want to thank you this morning, Lord, for the good singing we've had, and most of all, for the presence of God that's been in this place. Lord, how you've lifted our spirits and encouraged our hearts in song. Thank you, Lord, for these dear, precious people that have drove in these miles and gave their time to be with us. And, Lord, help us to do our part to be a blessing to them as they've been a blessing to us this morning. I pray now that you'll touch the reading of thy word, speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you'd be glorified, your son would be magnified, and the church would be edified. I ask you, Lord, to hide us behind the shadows of the cross and help us this morning not to say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit in any way. But, oh God, I pray this morning that we would see no man save Jesus only, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on this subject, on the fruitful life. The fruitful life. I want to say this morning that the fruitful life is not based on success. Amen. Uh, many people think that if they can have success in life that they have had a fruitful life. But a fruitful life is not based on success. A fruitful life is not based on service. A lot of times folks will think that if they could just work and work and work and while we need to be busy and we need to be serving, a fruitful life is not in service within itself. Many have worked 
themselves to the bones only to exhaust themselves because they have run in the energy of the flesh rather than the power of the spirit. And then I want to say a fruitful life is not based on standards. Why? I do believe in standards. I believe in separation and consecration and dedication. And friend, you're never going to preach it too tight or too right for me. Amen. But standards within itself does not bring a fruitful life. I think every Christian ought to have a list and a long list of things that they do not do. But my friend, that within itself is empty if there is not a fruitful life. A fruitful life is not based on strength. It's not about our ability or our strength within ourselves. Many think that they can do things on their own. But you cannot have a fruitful life in the energy of your own strength. You see, a machine can produce works. Isn't that right? But a machine cannot produce fruit because a fruit, fruit is a product of life. Amen? A fruit only comes from when there is life from within. You think you take a tree this morning that's planted out there, an apple tree, a pear tree, any kind of fruit tree you want to think about. Listen, a tree is not doing anything to produce that fruit. A tree is just simply standing there in the place that its creator put it and it's just yielding itself and the tree within itself does not do anything to produce fruit. You say, well preacher, if it's not doing anything, then how's that fruit being produced? It's what's inside the tree that is producing the fruit that's coming out of the tree. Amen? That sap that comes out of that tree or comes up within that tree, that sap is the very essence of its life and it produces the fruit. And that's what the fruitful life is this morning, friend. You and I within ourselves, we cannot do anything for God. Amen? But if we'll just be what God wants us to be and let the sap of the Holy Spirit work and run through our life, if we'll let Him do the work in us, He'll also do the work through us. And because of that, you and I can have a fruitful life this morning. I want to give you three things and we'll be through. I want you to see, first of all, in this text this morning, I want you to note the walk of a fruitful life. Amen? Notice what the Bible says in verse number 16. He said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the first thing Paul does here concerning the walk of a fruitful life is he talks about the success of it. Paul simply tells us that if you and I as believers, if we'll walk in the Spirit, then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? You see, friend, uh, many people are trying uh, when they ought to just be trusting. Amen? I can't overcome this flesh within myself. If I get one part of my flesh under control, Brother Jason, you know what will happen? Another part of it will get out of control. Amen? And can I just be real honest this morning? I have more problems with my flesh even after 30 years of being saved uh, than I know what to do with. I mean, listen, I don't know where to even start uh, when it comes to dealing with this flesh. Uh, so the thing that you and I can do is if we'll yield to the Spirit, thank God, and if we'll walk in the Spirit, then we'll have success because He knows how to overcome our flesh. Amen? And so in the walk of the fruitful life, He deals with the success of it. But then in the next verse, He deals with the struggle of it. Notice what He said in verse 17. He said, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Now if you was to come to the altar this morning, and say, God, I want to live a fruitful life. God gives you the promise of success. 
if you'll walk in the Spirit. But he also gives you another promise that it's not going to come easy. That there's going to be struggles in this life. I wish you could come to the altar and get right with God and get everything nailed down and I'm sure we could all testify we've heard a good sermon, went to the altar repented and got right with God and got up and felt so good and felt so clean and walked out, listen, feeling like we was on cloud nine and thought man we've got, and we had the victory in our life I, I wish you could do that and never have another struggle in the Christian life but you know as I do that that's not a reality, friend it's a battle every day of our life the greatest enemy we have it's not the devil, it's not the world, but it's this old sinful flesh that we live here. And the flesh will war against the spirit because there's two natures living within us. If we're saved, and we have to remember that this morning, that there is a struggle that's in that wall. Amen. But then there's the security in verse 18. Notice what he said. He said, but if you be led of the spirit. Y'all underline that in your Bible. Because this morning... We know that Paul is dealing with a different circumstance and we're not going to deal with that, but he's dealing with circumcision versus uncircumcision, law and grace, and and that's another sermon another day. But what I want you to see is the principle of verse number 18 is that if we be led of the Spirit. You say, preacher, I want to walk in the Spirit, but I have a hard time walking in the Spirit. Can I tell you how it'll be easy? If you'll let the Spirit do the leading. Amen? You see, if you're trying to do the leading, uh, then it's real hard. But if you'll just get up in the morning time and spend time in prayer and spend time in the Word of God and say to the Lord, now, Spirit of God, will you lead me as I go to work? Will you lead me as I go to school? Will you lead me as I keep house? Will you lead me throughout my life? Friend, if you'll just fall in place and let him be the one in charge, it takes all the pressure off, amen, when he's doing the leading and all you got to do is the following. Hey, that's the walk of the Christian life. It's not me charting my course. It's not me patterning out the way that I'm going to live. It's letting the Spirit of God lead me and me just follow Him. I think some people struggle with a Christian life and we all struggle. But I think some people think it's so hard to be filled with the Spirit because they're trying to do it themselves. The walk of the Spirit is a daily walk. Isn't that right? The walk of the Spirit is there's no lightning bolt experience uh, uh, that sets the course for the rest of your life and there's no more struggles. No, friend, you may have had the victory yesterday, but today is a new day. You'll face the same enemy today that you faced yesterday, but thank God we got the same assurance. Uh, We got the same promise uh, that greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. You can live in victory. You don't have to live in Egypt. Thank God you can live in Canaan's fair land every day of the Christian life. There's the walk of the fruitful life. And then I want you to see this morning, there's the warfare of the fruitful life. Paul makes it very clear in verses 19 down to verse number 21. He lays out the enemy. The enemy is the work, is the flesh. And he lays out the works of the flesh. And I want to say to you this morning that when you think about the works of the flesh, uh, we give the devil way too much credit. Can I get an amen right there this morning? Boy, we act like we fight the devil every day. The truth is, we may only face that booger a time or two in our lifetime, if ever. David fought Goliath one time, isn't that right? He fought the Philistines, the top of the world, many times. 
But the enemy that David feared the most and the enemy that David faced the most, most was his own. It was the one that he lived with in the palace. It was Saul. And Saul was a type of the flesh. And even though Saul had lost his glory, and even though Saul had the crown had been taken off of his head, Saul still wanted the throne. Even when God said you can't have the throne. And can I tell you something this morning? Our flesh is a defeated foe. And our flesh has lost his glory. But the flesh still wants to be on the throne. Isn't that right? The flesh still wants to be in charge and the flesh will stop at nothing friend. and Paul lists the works of the flesh this morning these works this morning have to do these he names these sins has to do with sexual sins such as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, satanic sins as he talks about idolatry and witchcraft and hatred. And then he talks about strifeful sins, uh, variance, emulations, wrath, strife. And then he talks about uh, uh, secret sins uh, as he lays out envies and murders uh, and drunkenness. Uh, he lays out sins of the heart. Uh, what is Paul doing here? i tell you what Paul's doing. Paul's listing sins, what he's doing. You know why we're in trouble in 2018? It's because we got preachers nowadays that won't name sin anymore. Can I get an amen? Now, I know it's 12 o'clock. Don't get quiet on me this morning. Oh, we'll preach till 2 o'clock. Amen. How's that? The quicker you say amen, the quicker we get done. Isn't that right? Got more amens right there than did the whole sermon. You know what Paul does here? He lists sins. And he calls sins by name. We're living in a time when preachers don't call sins by name no more. Generalizing sin and talking about sin within itself, it's not good enough. Friend, we need to go to a church and sit under some preachers where they'll name sin. Adultery is still sin. Can I get an amen? And don't get quiet when the preacher names sin. Your young people, your children, they need to know that we back the man of God. We back the word of God. Fornication is still sin. Uncleanliness is still sin. Lasciviousness is still sin. Hey, hatred is still sin. Strife is still sin. Drunkenness is still sin. We still need to name sin in this day and time. Amazing how amazing how that there's not anything called sin hardly anymore. Social drinking is just as much sin. Can I get an amen right there? Brother, I'm telling you, I had an uncle that I come from a long family of drunks. And I had an uncle, his crutch all the time was he, he'd drink, and I mean, he'd drink gallons of it, and he'd always say, well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. You know what I'd tell him? I'd say, if you can turn water into wine, I'll drink it. Amen. But until then, God said, don't even look on it. Amen. Isn't that right? Hey, listen, friend, sin is still sin in 2018. It may not be popular, but it ought to still be preached. Amen. Our churches can never be more spiritual than the people sitting in our pews, and we cannot have a fruitful life unless we deal with a sin that's within our life. And listen, we're not that clean. We're not that holy. Every one of us this morning, from the pulpit to the pew, we all have sin in our life. The Bible said if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth. Is not in us. You say, well, preacher, I just can't think of no sin. Well, you ought to guess this morning. Because if you guess, guess what? You'll hit the bullseye every time. The Holy Ghost wants to reveal the sin that's in our life. He wants us to be clean. Is that right? He wants us to be holy. The Bible said, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. 
And the Word of God says in this text that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's talking about a lifestyle. We know that uh, we're capable of doing everything after we get saved that we was capable of doing before we got saved. And certainly there are saved people that's committed the sin of murder. They've committed the sin of drunkenness. They've committed the sin of strife. But they that live that kind of lifestyle, those that have lived the lifestyle of a drunkard, those that have lived the lifestyle of a murderer, those that have been in church all their life but they've always stirred up strife in church they could never get along with any pastor they could never get along with any church hey we live in a day of church hoppers and church swappers isn't that right I mean they'll join this church for about six months to a year and then they'll join that church for about six months to a year I'm telling you friend listen they've had 25 30 pastors and none of them can satisfy them hey they have a strife problems what they have talks about I'm talking about the fruitful life the enemy is the flesh. The, gra- the greatest mistake that I could make this morning is to think that I'm not capable of committing one of these sins that has been mentioned this morning. You see, a fruitful life is someone that's always investigating. They're always pruning their life. You think about a tree. The more you prune it, the more it bears. Isn't that right? The stronger it gets and the greater it grows. You've got to cut the dead limbs off. Isn't that right? And a lot of times people allow their Christian life to be full of deadness, dead limbs, uh, things that have no eternal value, things that have no eternal prosperity. It may not always be sin, but it's just a weight hanging out in their life. It's just something that they refuse to reprune, uh, prune off. Uh, oh, you may still have life, uh, but you're not living the fruitful life. You're not living to the fullest of your capability because uh, you're hanging on to the dead limbs uh, there's nothing wrong with certain things in life. But if they become more important to us than they do the things of God, then they're just as much sin as anything else in our life. The flesh can make a God out of anything this morning. There is the walk of the, of the fruitful life, the works of the fruitful life. But let me give you this thought this morning. There's the witness of a fruitful life. Because when I come to verse number 22, the thought in my mind, and I believe the question in all of our minds this morning, is am I living a fruitful life? Am I a fruitful Christian? I don't have to be a successful Christian. I don't have to be a Christian of great status. But I ought to be fruitful. And the fruit, he, he characterizes the fruit of a, of a Christian life in verse 22 and 3. It's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, it's gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those nine fruits of the Spirit, three of those, those first three are Godward. They're upward toward man. Those next three have to do with outwardness or upward toward God. But those next three that he talks about are outward toward man as he talks about long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And then faith, meekness, and temperance has to do with the inwardness with our own self and when we're living a fruitful life guess what we have a right relationship with God we have a right relationship with man those around us amen and then we have a right relationship with ourself we live a satisfying life we live a happy life we don't need the things of this world to bring satisfaction Jesus is enough amen it's enough to get up in the morning and to spend time with him we enjoy the brethren we live life and we love it we have an attitude of of worship, an attitude of thanksgiving. Friend, that's living life at its fullest. It's letting the Spirit of God live in me what needs to be. 
That's the character. Do you have love, joy, peace, long-sufferingness? Are you gentle? Do you have goodness? Do you have faith? Do you live your life in doubt? Why don't you let the sap of God's Spirit run through you this morning? And provide faith. I I cannot produce faith. But the word of God and the spirit of God can build faith in my life. Is that right this morning? I can't produce joy. But the Holy Spirit living in me and surrendered and yielded to him can put joy in in, in my life. Listen, there are some people that spend their whole Christian life belly aching and whining and complaining. Moaning about every little thing. But the truth is they've got it better than others. God has been good to them. God has blessed them. But they're not living a fruitful life. So they're always sour. I know y'all don't know anybody like that. But I've met a few along life's way. They're always sour. And when you think about it, Paul is laying in a prison cell in Ephesians chapter 1. And while Paul is laying in that prison cell, in verse number 3, he talks about the blessings of God. Now, how can a man in prison... Talk about blessings. I mean, the average church member, I know y'all are not average, but the average church member would get up on Sunday, ride to church in an air-conditioned vehicle, padded seats, and come in and sit down on a padded pew. And if you dare ask them how they're doing, it's never good. Oh, I want to tell you, I'm having a hard time. Boy, that devil's rode me all week. Amen. I'm telling you, it's been the worst week of my life. I mean, I live in America, got the Holy Spirit on the inside, got a King James Bible. I mean, got food on my table, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. But I tell you, I've had a terrible, terrible week. Y'all pray for me. When all goes well with you. You know, if I pray for people when all went well, I wouldn't pray for people much. Because the flesh likes to complain. The flesh likes to bellyache. The flesh likes to throw pity parties. Amen. But a spirit-filled Christian can be walking through deep waters. And it'll take other spirit-filled Christians to discern where they're at because they do not reveal all that is going on in their life. I'm telling you, friends, spirit-filled people have found the lily in their valley. they found the sweet fragrance of the rose of Sharon. They've walked with him on the mountaintop only to find out that the God on the mountain is still God in the valley and that the God that's there when things are right is still there when things are wrong. They find out that his presence goes before them and his presence goes with them and that God is real in the good times and in the bad uh, that he'll hold your hand uh, when you cannot stand uh, and when you can't put one foot in the other he'll pick you up uh, he'll carry you along life's way uh, and he won't just get you by but thank God he'll see you through Uh, he'll put a song in your heart uh, a spring in your step uh, and joy in the midst of sorrow hallelujah don't you want to live life like that I want to tell you, Paul got chained up and he wrote Galatians and Philippians or Ephesians and Philippians and, and Colossians and those all of those prison epistles uh, and he was chained to a Roman guard. Uh, uh, but I want to tell you something, he wasn't chained to that guard. Uh, that guard was chained to him. Amen. Uh, I'm telling you, he had to stand there and hear the gospel and hear about a man talking about the blessings of God. At midnight he sang praises unto God while living a fruitful life. Brother, I'm telling you, if there's one thing God wants for us, and this is not a Joel Osteen sermon, but if there's one thing God wants for us this morning, He wants us to be happy. Is that right? And if God's people can't be happy, then who can be happy? 
see a lot of long faces in church nowadays, don't you? A lot of sad faces. You remember the days when people came to church and everybody seemed happy. You remember the days when people had a glow of God on their face. You remember the days when the preacher preached past 12 o'clock and people got excited, amen? You remember the days when people wasn't trying to get out so they could get somewhere else, but they loved God. They was excited about the things of God. They was excited about the singing. They was excited about the preaching. You know why? Because they didn't wait to get to church for God to be real. He was real at the house. He was real coming down the road. He was as real on Monday as he was on Sunday. And friend, they were sitting on ready all the time, ready to worship. You know why? Because they were hungry and they were thirsty for God. When's the last time you've been thirsty? I heard a story about a little girl. She's laying in bed one night. And she cried out to her mama. She said, Mama, I'm thirsty. And her mama said, Her mama said, It's too late. You need to go to sleep. You get a drink of water in the morning. She said, But I'm thirsty. She said, You'll have to wait in the morning time. And a third time she said, Mama, I'm really, really thirsty. She said, I'm telling you, she said, you're going to wait till in the morning. And if you ask me for water again, she said, I'm going to come in there and spake you. A few moments went by. She said, Mama, she said, why? She said, on your way to spake me, she said, will you get me a drink of water because I'm thirsty. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> when have you been that thirsty? She was willing to pay the price. Amen, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He talks about the fruitful life. It's a characterized life. The fruitful life is a crucified life. Look what he said here. This witness is that it's crucified. He said, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. You know, crucifixion was a slow death, wasn't it? And the flesh dies very slowly, friend. The fruitful life is a consistent life. Look, Paul said the same thing in verse 25. He said in verse 16, he said, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit is God's responsibility. Only God can give life. Isn't that right? But you and I can walk, can't we? And you know, just walking in this life physically, what does it do? It helps the life that you have. I ought to walk more than I should. But walking will benefit your life. Isn't that right? If it's true physically, Paul says it's true spiritually. If Listen, you're not going to be filled with the Spirit by accident. Is that right? You're not going to be filled if you don't ever pray, if you don't ever read. You say, well, I read yesterday and I, I didn't get anything. Well, read again. You probably got more than you thought you got. Maybe you didn't need what you read yesterday, but you will need it someday. Amen. You say, well, I prayed yesterday and I don't think my prayer got, got above the ceiling. That's all right. Daniel prayed 21 days and it looked like nothing was happening. And Gabriel come down and said, the first time you prayed, your prayer was answered the first time. You don't know what's going on between good and evil, between heaven and hell as we pray. But Daniel prayed for 21 days when it seemed like the heavens were as brass. Oh, but it paid off. I'm just simply saying this morning, it pays to pray. Can I get an amen? Then I want to say this, the fruitful life, the witness of that fruitful life is that it is a life of compassion. I like what Paul said in verse 26. He said, let us not be desirous of vain glory. You know something? Vain glory does two things, Paul says. It provokes other Christians and it starts envy. The thing about Paul is, Paul's one of the greatest Christians in all the New Testament. 
But Paul didn't try to be. His goal wasn't to be the greatest Christian in the New Testament. He just wanted to be a Christian. Paul, what constrained Paul was love. The compassion of the cross, Paul couldn't get over it. And because of that, Paul demonstrated love to others. I think one of the things missing in our churches nowadays is compassion. It's so easy to see the sins of others. But spirit-filled people always have themselves under the microscope. They're never satisfied with their prayer life, so therefore they don't boast about it. They're not satisfied with their Bible reading. They're not satisfied with other things about themselves. In fact, they, the, more they, the closer they get to God, the more they dislike who they really are. Well, that calls you to have compassion, doesn't it? And the Bible says here that let us not be desirous of vain glory. We got a lot of people seeking vain glory nowadays. If I've learned, I haven't learned a lot. I'm not an authority on anything this morning, but if, if the Christian life has taught me anything, it's taught me this, that the life that God gave me, it's not even about me. My life's not about me. God didn't let me be born April the 26th, 1975. He didn't let me be born so that I could have a good life. It wasn't His purpose. He didn't let me be born so that I could have a, have a nice house and a nice car and, 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 a, and a nice family and live to be a ripe old age and, and check out and say, well, I've had a good life. Now, I could say that this morning. I've had a good life. But life isn't about me and it's not about you. You say, well, preacher, I'm going through things and I don't understand why I'm going through things. Well, it may not even be about you. It may be that you're just the tool God's using. That widow of Zarephath, she went through that famine and it was 1,600 years later before Jesus pulled her back into the New Testament and used her as an illustration. How would you like to have been that woman? She goes through that famine. She doesn't know why. God doesn't tell her why she went through it. She knew it was because of the sin of the people, but her life was touched. She was a Gentile. Her life was touched because of the sin of God's people. She loses her son. He dies. He resurrects, but she never gets an answer. She didn't have the book of 1 Kings to read, and she doesn't know why God does that, but one day she was the illustration that our Savior used. She lived a fruitful life. What about you this morning? I... I thought, about, I thought about growing up. I used this illustration the other night preaching. Hadn't thought of it. Hadn't thought of it in years. Matter of fact, I went back and got my hair cut not too long ago. And I go back to the same place I've always went. And when I pulled up there at the barbershop and I looked out, I looked across the street over there where the high school is, and there's a pear tree right there. And I, I, I forgot, I mean, I've been there, I mean, all these years, and I forgot about that tree. And as I looked at that tree, I saw that tree standing there, and I remembered when I was a child, when I was a boy, me and my brother walked home from school, and we was walking home from school. Nobody ever paid any attention to that pear tree. You say, how do you know that, preacher? I'll tell you how I know that. Because me and my brother ate every single pear off that tree <laughs> every year. I mean, we, we'd get off school, and I'd say, you know where we're going, don't you? Because we'd watch them as they'd come out, the fruit, watch them pears. Sometimes we'd eat them a little too hard, you know. 
I said, you know where we're going? He said, we're going to the pear tree. And we stopped by there and we'd eat them pear. I'm talking about worms and all. <laughs> Amen. For all you, uh, what do you call it, natural people, we didn't even wash the pears. We just sat under the tree. We ate the rot, the worms, every bit of it. I'm going to tell you something. Rot don't taste too bad if you eat enough of it. Amen. <laughs> we ate them all, friend. I pulled up at that pear tree. Or I mean, pulled up at that barbershop, and I saw that tree standing there, and it occurred to me. First time in my life, it occurred to me. I don't know what purpose that tree has served anybody else all these years. But I want to tell you something as a boy coming home and hungry. We stopped by that tree. And I thought, I looked, I thought, I wonder if God, I don't know this, but I wonder if God planted that tree right there. It's the only tree in that schoolyard on the edge. I wonder if God put it there, Brother David. said, you know what, there are going to be two boys come by there one day. They ain't going to have nothing at the house but a jar of mustard and loaf bread. So I'll just put a pear tree right here to help them along life's way. That tree's so ugly. It's broken, bent. It don't look like a big, nice oak. It don't bloom pretty like a dogwood. It's so broken up. But God put it there. It lived a fruitful life. It's changed lives. What about you this morning? What about your life? I'm telling you this morning, serving God is not in success. It's not in titles. It's not in trophies. And it's, not in, it's not about pats on the back. And it's not about, and I, under, I believe in giving honor where honors due. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if nobody down here never recognizes anything you do, Amen. Don't you want to live your life in a way that somehow God uses it to benefit those that are around you? I don't want to say anything, and God knows I have. I don't want to do anything, and God knows I have. That would quench Him. That would grieve Him. I don't want to just produce a little bit of fruit, don't you? I want, I want to live a fruitful life for the glory of God as we stand this morning. What about your life? What about your life this morning? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, don't you want to make a difference for His cause? I can't be anything. I can't do anything. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't overcome this flesh. I can't bear fruit. But I tell you what I can do and what you can do. I can yield to the Holy Spirit. And I can let Him work through me and in me and bring forth fruit. God can do more with your life than you ever can do with it. And only He knows this morning while Brother David sings.